The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Welcome by the winemakers. Hey, good afternoon. Welcome to the winemakers. Go ahead, Bart. Bart's going to do our celebratory pour this week. All right, thank there you. you. Go. <laughs> thank you very much. Another nice tall pour. Yeah, exactly. Sam still does the best. I don't know how we can. Uh... You know. Well, are you feeling jealous? Yeah, yeah. I think he's just got more practice. So we've got a um, cool show for you this week. Uh, Sam is on assignment. John's on assignment. We've got uh, Chris Leonard from uh, Muddy Arch and Leonard Wine Company, and our intro was done by. Uh, Don Smeets from uh, Sante and 38 North at the Fairmont Sonoma Mission Inn. He was speaking in his uh, native tongue. I think he said, welcome to the winemakers. <laughs> I hope he said, welcome to the winemakers. I hope he didn't say, what the hell did I sign up for here? Uh, this is a podcast, so who cares? <laughs> right. So Chris, well, I've, I've actually wanted to have you on for a long time. You and I have run across each other here and there. First had your wines uh, when I was at the Girl in the Fig and tried the Roussan and loved it. And, uh, and then, uh, would run into you, um, at different tastings. I think, uh, you met Bart at the San Francisco Chronicle. Mm-hmm. We were basking tasting. in our gold medals. No, not gold medal, uh, Bart. That's, uh, that's insulting. Oh, sorry. It was a double yes, gold. Right. It, was a double <laughs> it was a double gold medal yeah, for that. Yeah. And you know what? You. It's almost to the point where if it's not a double gold, it doesn't matter. What is it? So, yeah, right, right. Right. And it's, you were, and I think actually, Chris, you were, I don't think you were there first. I, if I remember correctly, I went to your booth because I saw that that your table was set up and your dad was there and he said something about you maybe not being able to make it. I think you were flying in or something. Uh, I'm, always, I'm always late in life. You're- <laughs> I'm late. But yeah, so, uh, right. My, uh, so the company, like you said, Brian, is a Leonard Wine Company and it's a small family business between uh, myself and uh, my father, Tom Leonard. So, um yeah, thanks for having me. Girl in the Fig was the first restaurant to represent the Roussan. Wow. So I appreciate it. And that was obviously, uh, that was in 2015 you guys did that with me. And that was a 2014 vintage of uh, the Roussan from Sonoma. So let's 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 get back a little bit farther before well, first, we do can that. We, can we just pour some wine first? As I said, well, yeah, th- was, I have taken a month off of uh, drinking to a little sober October with a brief cheat. Uh, last week because of my Bob Cabral wine shipments, his Chardonnay is like crack and I am a crack hoe and the uh, Riesling that he made um, is probably the sexiest Riesling that I've had from the United States. So I couldn't help and I didn't know that at the time and I just pulled it. I used my Coravin. I pulled a little bit out. I was like, oh, I just want to try these wines because I just got them. And then anyone that has a Coravin at home, you know, this probably happens to you that you, uh, you pull a little bit out thinking, yeah, I'm just going to drink this little bit. And the next thing you know, you're pulling out the Coravin again. You're sucking a little more out. You're taking out another couple ounces. Then 20 minutes go by. You pull out the Coravin again, which is kind of a pain in the ass. It's not like the easiest thing to do of just, you know, taking the cork off and pouring it. So that's the commitment I had to uh, Bob Chardonnay last week. There you go. And what Good are we you. pouring? Uh, 2015 Roussan Muddy Arch? Yeah. So uh, Muddy Arch is the the brand name for the, the Roussan that, is on the market in California um, by Leonard Wine Company. And I um, I decided to make Roussan primarily because 
Yeah, that, uh, yeah, interesting. So first, I, you know first what? wine out of the gate. Um, can 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 we do because I think I think if we go back a little farther, maybe we'll learn some you, of the reasons yeah, why yes, these. Yes, of course. So what I would like to know is what what brought you out here to get into the wine business? Like, what made you decide that you wanted to get into the wine business? Where was that? What was your first harvest like? Uh-huh. And let's start with that. How about? Yeah. So okay, a little brief history. Um, so I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, go Cards. Love the Cardinals. Uh, so right now, I'll get a picture uh, right now. Actually, because, uh, it was just Halloween, and uh, keeping the spirit alive as a Cardinals fan. But yeah, so from St. Louis, and I came out here to California um, on a road trip in 2006, and I just uh, I always loved wine because the parents drank uh, wine. You know, growing up back in Missouri, um, they always drank European wine. You know, European wine sure. was less expensive, it was affordable, went with food. Um, there was more of it. There you go. Right? Probably right. You know, I mean, it, you know, I mean, California wines. Um, a lot of it didn't get farther back, and there was always a kind of a uh, French or European preference on the you know Midwest and the East Coast. I think absolutely. Also, I mean, even like today, you know, it's it's hard to get a boutique wine into distribution in the Midwest. It's it's Midwest uh, has a conception of liking sweet wine, but I think the fact is there's less quantity of um diversified wines out there so the midwest just doesn't receive as many big bold dry california wines because distribution channels really limit that opportunity for consumers so um in missouri you have some sweet wines that are based off of local varietals that are very high acid right which is why they're sweet it's not because people just like sweet stuff out there right. it's a misconception um and there's also just less of these boutique wines from california available out there so so, uh, obviously, it's gotten better, but when I'm growing up there, um, that was kind of the right. what was available. Cool. So uh, you came out of California on a road trip. Where were you heading? Yeah, so I was just on uh, just on the Highway One, enjoying the uh, ocean. Came out came out for the water. Um, Love Missouri, but always wanted to kind of get out west and see what was out here. So I went to went to college in Colorado and went to uh, you know went to work in California and stayed. But on that uh, road trip, that was 2006, and. Um, yeah, so always loved wine, drinking it with the folks growing up, drinking that European wine. Uh, but hey, you know, California wine, big bull, that, that's great also. Mm-hmm. Two different styles. I appreciate mm-hmm. all of it. But uh, when I got out here, you know, on the road trip, drinking California wine, um, drank some nice Pinot Noir in Edna Valley in Central Coast. Okay. Really elegant. Really appreciate that wine. And I went up north to, um, to Stinson Beach, and I just met uh, Jenny Wagner um, of KMS on the beach randomly. And she said, hey, uh, come back to nap and hang out show you nap i'm like oh great you know i know it I know wait a minute is. is there more to this meeting you're not telling no, us no. so uh, that was that was simply it okay <laughs> meet on the beach you just happen to be what tanning next to this woman and and she says oh by the way i work for Camus. you look like maybe you're a winemaker no she that... she was a, she was part of the um Camus family right yeah. so how does how does that conversation start i'm saying two people on a beach how do they meet uh, and start talking about wine i spent like two weeks on the, the beaches of california so the, the whole time i was kind of introduced myself and asking people you know what's going on and hello huh. so yeah very no very uh nothing uh beyond just normal conversation <laughs> but uh okay. i don't want to get anyone in trouble i'm just curious how that happens that seems like a very I think, brian i think you were hoping that there was more to this than i'm always hoping that there's more to it but uh, that's a that's like a fortuitous meeting that you just kind of ran into each other so yeah, she... i mean yeah i mean Go it was ahead. just you know constantly on, on on the trip to california saying hi to people and meeting new people and uh yeah it just so happened to be you know since the beach being very close to napa sonoma it's just some young 
wine girls were out there on the beach hanging out. So I randomly met them. They said, hey, come back to Napa. And then I uh, had a chance to see Napa. And uh, at that time, I just drank some uh, mountain fruit. And so mountain fruit is really important to me in the winemaking and uh, wine drinking, um, especially here in California. I think you obviously have great intensity coming out of mountain fruit as opposed to uh, some of our valley floor fruit or warmer climate fruit. So I have a great appreciation for the cold nights off the mountains and um, kind of that uh, lack of restraint and that intensity. Um, so I ended up just drinking a, a Keenan Merlot and randomly, and I just kind of fell in love with that uh, chewiness of uh, Spring Mountain ABA and the, the texture up there. And uh, at that moment, I just decided I would like to learn how to uh, make wine for other people so that they can enjoy. Hmm. And uh, that was 2006. And, and since then, it's just been um, very you know diligent work ever since then. So um, I was in college in Colorado at the time. So I went back there and... Uh, Dom, you said you spent time in Colorado, right? Yeah, so I was in uh, I was in Vail and, and Denver. Denver. Where, where in Denver. are you in Colorado? Okay, so I was in school at uh, Colorado State in uh, Fort Collins. Oh, very North. nice. Go Rams. So that was. Like, you, you know, <laughs> I I have a friend who's actually working this harvest in Austria that um, went to that same college, studied viticulture. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked with me for a while at, at my last job, and um, yeah, it, it was interesting to hear that 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 program is pretty successful there, and 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 pretty big actually. Yeah, it's gotten uh, that's gotten bigger. When I was there, they had just started that program with. He came from Arizona. He was a, okay. a winemaker from Arizona, who the state of Colorado hired um, to kind of develop the uh, western uh, plains of Colorado. Their grape growing, and he also kind of, you know, went to Colorado State and did some uh, classes. And that yeah. was at the FNC. That was you know back in the, I don't know, two thousand six. Like I was saying, two thousand seven. And um, but since then, yeah, I've heard Colorado State's program yeah. has, has yeah. had something going yeah. on. So that's that's good. To, that's. You know, that's obviously fun as a, a graduate at school. Um, but when I was at Colorado State, I mean, it certainly, at its infancy, I think I was one of the, the, the random weird guys that said, hey, I want to make wine after having that California experience in 06, coming back to Colorado State. Right. So I was pretty alone at that point, despite the, um, the introduction of that guy from Arizona came to run the new program um, for the state of Colorado and the university. Um, so I didn't have too many opportunities at that time at school. So I basically went down to Denver. That's why I was asking Dom if you, where, where you were living. Um, Went down in Denver for like six months and worked with a, a master sama, Ralph Dobson, to just learn about uh, the world of wine beyond just Napa, just Sonoma, mm-hmm. you know, European wine, you know, whatever, wherever wine grows. So that was really cool in 06. And then uh, after that, I just started to, uh, you know, make wine. Um, well, what did you do? Did you start uh, applying as intern to uh, uh, different wineries or you start reaching out to people, letting them know that you're interested? Yeah, so since I uh, did not go to Davis um, for that degree and did not come from a winemaking family, I had to just start from uh, scratch and kind of ask, just ask for assistance and mentorship. Yeah. So mentorship is um, something I've loved partaking in in, uh, in my professional life and in Northern California. Um, some of the great mentors I've had here from a winemaking perspective have been fantastic and uh, just asked around. Yeah, actually, the, uh, the first job I had for California wine was in 07 with Joseph Phelps as a harvest intern and... That winemaker hired me, happened to be a big fan of, uh, lived in Colorado, and so I had the chance to just, you know, have that connection uh, through Colorado and got that job at Joseph Phelps. Nice. And uh, yeah, ever since then, just uh, have kept, you know, working in wine production for the past about 12 years. But I will say what was interesting, um, after learning from the, ma- for, you know, from the Master Sob in Denver about the idea of wine on, on paper and, and that broad intellectual spectrum, um, between that and working for Phelps in 07, I had a chance to go work in Missouri um, on a vineyard in the summer of 07, and uh, that was great. So, um, you know, like I was mentioned that 
earlier that Missouri, um, you know, there's a preference for for some sweetness, and part of that is it being uh, high acid local varietals. So I was talking to Dom about this before we started the show that, as you were saying, in, in your in your country, there's a there might be hybrid varietals or varietals that were, or might be resistant to rot and uh, because of some sort of cross, um, you know, some hybrid. And in Missouri, uh, there's lots of that um, in order to prevent rot you know there's there's high humidity in missouri so prevent the mildew hmm. you know let's make the varietal resistant so um a fantastic varietal in missouri i love is called traminette you guys have a traminette never no it's pretty cool man it's like uh it's gavers demeanor and sylvaner and it's how do you awesome. spell it uh traminette's like t-r-a-m-i-n-e-t-t-e okay so the root word you know like gavers demeanor so it is right. it's spicy but it's also resistant so that one's fun. It's a lot of acid, though, so sometimes it's less sweet, and sometimes it is dry. But that's a beautiful varietal. Um, so I had a chance to work with Traminette and then uh, Norton, a right. uh, big uh, red wine. For the Norton! Coast. Norton, hey, Norton! Oh, Norton, so that was fun. <laughs> so, yeah, always try to uh, learn about other, um, as much about wine and the opportunities out there, you know, in terms of drinking it, you know, the flavors, the regions. There's so much of it, and that's why, uh, you know, that's why I make Roussan and Zen, because a lot of people don't know what Roussan is, for instance, and... Zen, yeah, how did familiar is how did the Roussan start? So how, so you you worked a little bit for Phelps and then did some other interning as well, mm-hmm. and um and then what's the jumping off point where you say, you know what I I want to make a wine under my own label mm-hmm. and where am I going to get the fruit from? And did you did you do it part time like were you working for someone else first or did you just make the jump and go straight into your own uh, brand? Yeah, so it's uh I think the mentorship. And the learning was clutch before executing. So if I start in, you know, 06, call it, um, you know, I didn't start this uh, this brand, Linder Wine Company, until uh, the LLC was 2013. Our first vintage was 2014. So, you know, I spent the first seven years strictly working for other people and, and making sure I had the um, ability to, to pursue a business. Um, and then, you know, I was still working for some very nice uh, Napa Cab Estates when I started the brand, so in 14. In 15, um, I was still working for some cab guys. And uh, in 16, you know, part-time there. And the, the past couple of years, just trying my best to uh, focus on this and sell. You know, yeah. sell the wine. I got... Yeah, I know about know. selling wine. So Toughest part of the biz, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful inventory that needs to be sold. So I'll probably be back on the beach again this winter, just sleeping on the beach and trying to go to San Francisco and selling these wines to restaurants, <laughs> uh, getting people to buy them and, and enjoy what Roussan is. I mean... I chose Zinfandel first to answer your question. Um, you know, I had training on Cabernet, and so I believe I understand uh, what concentration is. And sometimes Zinfandel can be overtly fruity and lack concentration unless you have the right vineyard, the right farmer techniques, and maybe the right um, intention of the business owner to make a, a less fruity Zin. So my goal was to make uh, an intense structured Zinfandel but very elegant and, and delicate. And I think that's less seen on the market. I know that's less seen on the market. It doesn't make it a better Zinfandel, um, but I want to offer people something that they haven't tasted yet cool. too often. Cool, I'm looking forward to trying them. Yeah. And then so- the Roussan just followed that same um, tact. You know, the, so the Roussan and Zin, it, it, they're classically structured wines. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the best of my ability. I'm, you know, I'm here as a business to offer consumers classically structured Roussan and Zinfandel. That's the niche product we're offering. And, um, Again, it doesn't make it better, but it's just most folks haven't tried that flavor yet. So can you talk a little bit about these three vineyard sources of the Roussan yeah. 
and um, and get into you know the winemaking on them, sure. um, and is it different winemaking and some of that? Yeah, so it's the the focus being Roussan and Zen. It is a, a vineyard designate program, so it's a great opportunity for any of us to taste these flavors because Ooh. it's for instance all three of these vineyards um, they're all bottles 100% Roussan, but they're from three different terroirs wow. in Northern California. And, and pretty drastically different terroirs. Absolutely. That's a great point. I mean, you know, so what we're drinking right now is a uh, Roussan from Sonoma Valley, uh, right outside the, uh, the Sonoma Square, if y'all have visited here. Um, a Roussan from Rutherford, which is super rare, and then a Roussan from El Dorado. Um, El Dorado does grow a lot of Roussan. However, this particular site is... Um, it's in a very kind of like warm uh, microclimate of El Dorado. El Dorado is huge. Mm-hmm. And this is... El Dorado County El Dorado out there, County. folks. Yeah. yeah. But this particular uh, Roussan vineyard in El Dorado is right next to, um, uh, interestingly, the town of Coloma, where, where gold was discovered in 1848. So yep. I think that's kind of fun story. But this, this vineyard and that town of Coloma sits in a very warm microclimate within El Dorado. So we get lots of heat here. Um, and the soils are very much uh, decomposed granite, just like you know, like the Rhone. Um, they're very sandy there. And and it's also at elevation. You're at about uh, like fifteen hundred feet yeah, there. Exactly. It's like yeah, yeah, like fourteen, fifteen. So, folks, this is in the Sierra foothills, so east of us here in Sonoma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, a long history of grape growing up in the Sierra foothills, going back to the mining days. I'm sure. Um, that's there's a lot of old vine vineyards up there. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've talked about them before on shows. So, yeah. anyway, so go ahead. Um, I think the. I think this is very relatable. It folks who understand the some of the basic details of Roussan abroad. You know, if you look at France, uh, in my opinion, you know, El Dorado can be like Rhone or Saint Joseph, where it'll be rich and warm. Um, and then something that's less known, but I love, I fell in love with after tasting it, is uh, an area called <laughs> Savoie. Um, that's so funny. I, I texted my French buddy yesterday. I said, Hey man, how do you say this word? Because I don't know French, but I'm like, I love this region. I've never been forced to pronounce it. Like, you, you mean it's it, not man? savor? I'm like, it's, it's Savoy, Savoy. He's like a Savoy. I'm like, okay. Savoy. I'm going to say that on the radio now. So. But I've known, but I've had this area of like back in, back in the Colorado days, I've had a chance to, to try this, this Roussan from this, uh, at the base of the French Alp, Savoy. Um, they're just very perfumed, delicate Roussans. Uh, very opposite of St. Joseph. So the Sonoma Roussan here we're drinking, in my opinion, has that cooler climate. It would be more like Savoie. And then the uh, El Dorado, of course, would be more like the St. Joseph. The Rutherford Roussan in the middle, I, I don't know. It's just, it's Boy, a really man, cool opportunity. Actually, no, this is the, the first one you poured. Absolutely, I'm sorry, yeah, for us here at the table. Yeah, the first one I poured is Rutherford. Right. So we're gonna go in order of richness, I mean, even though, like I was saying, the Sonoma is very lean, El Dorado is richer. Sure. Um, I'm going to start with the Rutherford because, th- you know, if this vineyard is right next to Frog's Leap Winery, so it's straight up clay. And I find that the clay soil is kind of just like, if you look at like St. Estefan Bordeaux, that fluffiness you get in the texture, I think that the clay does that for this Roussan. And so it's this very delicate orb of volume that goes back to your throat but it's just it's just powdery yeah and so that that totally, fluffiness totally. i want to start with first <laughs> yeah. 
And then we'll grow the Sonoma, and it'll get, it's still, it's very lean, but it'll get a little richer than the Rutherford. Um, it's right at the base of the Mayacamas Mountains and Sonoma on yep. the Sonoma side. And so it's literally, um, you know, it has that, that decomposed soils. Yeah. It has the minerals. A lot of cobbles in that area. It's, man, yeah. it's, it's definitely cool to look at that. And then you go to El Dorado, and you're looking at granite and sand. Yeah. so different. And um, What strikes me the most about this El Dorado wine is the, is the aroma and how like perfumey and yeah. really kind of spicy it is. It's totally. really and really minerality. Beautiful. I even get some minerality, and, and minerality on the yeah. uh, on the nose. I mean, yeah, yeah these are so different. But that Rutherford, yeah, as you're right, is sort of more voluptuous, uh, round in the mouth. Um, I think I've tried that before. I've tried the Rutherford um, um, before. And then weren't you sourcing out of Landa Vineyard? That's, that's, that's the, the Sonoma Valley. Valley is it here. is okay. Yeah. So that's the one that's right at the base of the Mycomas, and it's a, it's, it's certainly a, a story, a storied site. You go in there; it's a beautiful white picket fence. The uh, the owner's mother lives on the property. It's just a beautiful story. But the vineyard's a Rhone vineyard. It's 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 established. It's like I think maybe twenty twenty five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, this was grafted over to Rusan fifteen years ago on this on this land of vineyard in Sonoma. Um, so it's the roots are the roots are there. And yeah. um, you can get the terroir for sure. So um, uh, winemaking practices? Yeah, so if they're all 100% Roussan, the goal is to show you guys the, the variability in, in terroir. That's something I believe here in Northern California has huge variability. Winemaking was very much the same. The winemaking for Roussan is in is to make a classically structured wine. So for me, that means um, farming expressive, concentrated fruit and picking early. We have too much. We have so much heat here in California. If I... If I didn't pick a few weeks earlier than my colleagues, I would be making a more rich, modern, mid-palate wine. Um, so I need to pick early to maintain freshness, um, and that that's really important to me in the winemaking. You know, the contracts relatively guarantee, to the best of my ability, that the fruit will be concentrated. I worked very hard with the you know the vineyard managers, vineyard management companies, to get the contract to fit for everybody where the fruit is going to be. Um, top tier and concentrated, and then just pick early. Um, at that point, uh, these herbs and rusans they're they're treated with, um, you know, I, I would call it pretty much elegance because, for instance, the yeast is a champagne yeast, and even though uh, champagne hmm. yeast is known to be very robust and just power through sugar and be a very strong yeast selection, um, what I love about the champagne yeast is it it doesn't affect the aroma. So I've had a chance to do many trials with many yeasts on white wines and barrel fermented white wines um, and, and with other people's inventory. And champagne yeast, it still smells like the varietal. So that attracted me to the varietal to be expressed aromatically. Um, and also, I think it's cool because if I pick early, I give up body, right? I give up that power you can get from a, a rich, big, riper California wine. So champagne yeast is a bodybuilder, man. It just, it just beefs up the mid-palate and it... Uh, you know, it adds polysaccharides basically. It makes it heartier, and and it's in the viscosity in Rusan is always there. Brian, you know Rusan well. I mean, viscosity where they yeah. pick it lean or ripe, it's gonna stick around. It's gonna give you mouthfeel. It's so are they um, uh, ba- barrel fermented, yeah, tank fermented? So, so it's it's all barrel fermented um, and surly aging for, uh, for you know about nine months. Mm-hmm. So. I uh, want that texture. I want as much. Yeah, texture. there you're getting your texture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's possible, new, so. new, new old barrels, a blend of both. So I'll do. Am I asking too many questions? questions. <laughs> the uh, the barrel selection is very important to me, whether it's red or white. Um, 
for white wine, I would love to have neutral barrels as much as possible. If the vineyard is super rich, though, like the Eldorado vineyard under, you know, riper conditions, um, the Eldorado Roussan here is much richer. And so that will dictate a little bit of new oak for me. So I always want to accentuate the vineyard or match the vineyard. Mm-hmm. Yep. I spent some time with other producers homogenizing wines. And I, I just wasn't my style of right. interest. So <laughs> well, we've talked about that on the show when, you know, when if you're a big enough winery at some point, it's more important to the marketing department to have a consistent wine year in and year out yeah, and, yeah. you know, not tell the story of the vineyard or not tell the story of the vintage. And Easy grab and so, go off the shelf. You right. know, it's going to taste in 2014, same way it tastes in 2012. It's going to be exactly. a crowd pleasing wine, yeah. but there's no real story to it. Yeah. Well, when we yeah. get to the Zinfandel, we're going to taste that vertical of the same vineyard. And so, yeah. like you said, Brian, awesome. we'll really check out the vintage. And the vintage yeah. is you know, very important to me. You know, show the vintage, show the vineyard. I, it's everyone uh, everyone out here and working in wine production is trying is doing the best job they can. I think our business is, uh, the niche part about it, though, is you're going to see difference in vintage or vineyard comparison. And that, like, uh, that is the yeah. rare factor. Yeah. Um, and Bart, had you ever heard of anyone using champagne yeast like that? Um, you know, experimenting. I, I, I've never really heard that. That, um, those comments. So yeah, no, that caught me off yeah, guard. Yeah, where did I was you pick that up? That. Like, well, so I had a, uh, just a chance to run like a barrel from the Chardonnay program where you know I could do like fifteen different yeasts, and uh, you know, um. Uh, so personally, I'm not a natural winemaker. A lot of um, a lot of folks, a lot of colleagues are, but I, I enjoy using commercial yeast. Mm-hmm. Hence, why I wouldn't be categorized as like a natural winemaker. But commercial yeast can certainly be destructive. Um, it can add aroma. It can add flavor to the vineyard, and so I don't want to do that. But I, there's commercial yeast that won't add aroma or, or flavor, but will add something else, like a body mm. to the wine or a finish to the wine, and so. Why the hell would I want to enjoy that part of the wine's life? Right. To it? right. You know, for me, I think it's a, a beautiful thing to use champagne yeast because I know that the aroma is unaffected. I mean, that's th- these are 100% Roussans that they need to be examined, right? And you have to uh, enjoy the, the nuances. So champagne yeast will allow that aroma to be, right. you know preserved it's interesting because this is his style brian i mean this is what this is what we love to hear about these shows is the things that people do differently it was like that time when cody from desire lines told us about you know him and morgan and how you know if it was oh well one of them's into texture one of them's into aroma aroma yeah and um and yeah and so that's cool you found you you found something to help you down the style of wine that you want to make it's awesome Hmm. And the wines are beautiful. They're all they're all very different. Completely, um, um, completely different. I'm, I'm still staying with. I think um, the Eldorado is my favorite of yeah. the three. Um, but uh, yeah, they're delicious. Thank you. And I'm a Sonoma Valley guy, so yeah. you know, don't don't tell anyone around here. And what's it like out there in the market? So you're, you know, everyone knows if you're if you're selling Chard, Pinot, and Cab, you kind of got your foot halfway in the door. But selling okay. Roussan. And especially if you, all you have in your portfolio is Zinfandel and Roussan, what's that like uh, doing cold calls, walking in the door? What's uh, what's that? I how's have, that conversation go? I just have gorgeous, gorgeous inventory. So I mean, beautiful stuff that's not sold yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. It's of course a tough sell because it's not what a consumer is used to for flavor. Um, you know, if I show professionals these wines, 
I'm sure the majority enjoy them, but only a third pull the trigger because there are two thirds just don't want to work on the hand sell right. to their customers. Absolutely. Right. So that's, I mean, that's the hardest thing because when I'm out selling, the hardest thing is matching your wines to the place. And, and, you know, you, I, I, I stock restaurants and wine shops and see, you know, how would my wine fit in their program? And then you try to justify, ultimately you're justifying why they should buy your wine. And yeah. especially when it's varietals that people don't, aren't, you know, Chardonnay, Pinot and Cab. Yeah. And then from small production, people like us who, you know, they have to tell our story because our story is what's compelling. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's, it's tough. You, well, it's, and it takes time. I mean, you're a buyer or have bought wine. You know how long you push us sales guys off and, you know, dangle the dangle the purchase. And... I don't think I ever did that to you, Bart. <laughs> oh, not to me, Brian. <laughs> not to me. Uh, here's why I think people should drink Roussan is it's it's super easy to, to say this. It's Roussan is between a Chardonnay and a Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, the, the two most known brows in the world try something different Roussan right. literally could please anybody who prefers a Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc the Roussan always adds viscosity and body so like a Chardonnay it's always relatively bold but especially in our style picking early and making it old world and, and very acidic and fresh that right there is is Sauvignon Blanc so I would love um you know people to try this product based off of Simply, hey, it's between a Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc. Right. Give something else a shot. And if I could get uh, the restaurateurs to, to deliver that message, I think we'd be successful. And so that's one of my current strategies. I hope it gets easier for you guys because I, I kind of see younger people not giving a fuck as much about whether they're drinking a Chardonnay from from Rombauer. Um, I, I think for them, it, it's quality, price point, label. Yeah. Um, but I don't think they necessarily care about varietal. They just want something to taste good. And I think a lot, uh, so a huge part of it is getting that on a BTG program where you're getting it in people's right. mouths. And right, it's, yeah. once they try it, and you've seen that at the Girl in the Fig, I mean, people go in there with no um, desire to try anything than, than what they are used to drinking. But once they sit down, you get something in their mouth and they're like, oh, I normally drink Chardonnay or I normally drink Pinot. And you turn them on a Cunois or or uh, or Carnia, I mean, you, you blow people's minds, and I think that's the fun part about doing unique varietals like this too. Is, you know what? D d d forget everything you've thought about wine and everything you've learned about wine. Just try this, drink Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Taste it, man. Taste right. Great. Right. And uh, yeah. And Roussan is one of my favorites. So, are you got any plans to do anything other than Roussan as far as white wines go? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, Marsan, Marsan doesn't turn you on a little bit. No, so Marsan turns me off. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah, I mean they're they're 100 Roussan here because personally I feel that's what uh that's very expressive of the varietal, obviously the vineyard, but that's expressive to me of an an old world wine. You know, speaking of growing it here in California, because you know a lot of the Roussans on the market that are 90 Roussan and 10 Marsan as a blend, all the Marsan is doing, in my opinion, is is creating more of the Chardonnay effect. Right, Marsan is a bigger, bolder, wider, you know, more alcoholic. It's just the, in my opinion, the Marsan addition is an effort to create consumer-friendly Chardonnay out of what could be a right. Roussan varietal wine. Right. So that's why, you know, doing 100% Roussan, I, yeah, I'm stoked. That's expressive, but uh, so certainly not interested in and taking away from the varietal with an addition of Yonier and Marsan. Right. Um, so you I, like I, the purity I, of it. 
Absolutely. I mean, yeah. and, and I have tried. Sir, I have. So, man, you got like, I, I'm pretty uh, particular and conservative, I suppose. But got to try some stuff every once in a while. So I did try was Grenache Blanc and Picpo Blanc, right? Like I respect those varietals personally because they're acidic, they're fresh, they're chewy. Yeah. Uh, kind of the opposite of Yonier and Marsan, from my perspective. So. Just like Roussan, Grenache Blanc, and Pickpole, it's like, hey, um, let's try to make this uh, vibrant and and respect the old world freshness. And I enjoy those wines. I enjoyed making them, but I won't. I guess I won't do it again at this point in life because uh, I did try to do additions to the Roussan, and it just dumbed it down again. So right. I I I know Viognier and Marsan won't work for my this style, and I've tried Grenache Blanc and Pickpole, and they did not work either. Hmm. So 100% Roussan is a certainly yeah, a beautiful thing in my mind. Where did you get the uh, Mars? Where did you get Grenache Blanc and Pickpole? Was that Grenache out of the Grenache Blanc was a nice twenty-year-old head train vines off the same uh, David Gerard vineyard in Colorado we're drinking right uh-huh. now. Um, and then the Pickpole Blanc was an old row, one one row of uh, Pickpole and Rutherford off this Haug vineyard Rutherford Roussan we're drinking. So, you know, those guys who planted their own vineyards, they they dappled in. In these other varietals, and so you know, I gave it a shot and just didn't didn't really drive with it. Yeah, how and, much Roussan is in Napa? Sorry, Bart. Well, no, that's right. I don't hear a of a, a lot of Roussan over in Napa. No, Probably not. not. Much, it's, you know, not. it's Cabernet country. And is so the so where you're sourcing um, that wine from? Are they also selling to other people, or are they making a wine themselves out of it? You know, it's it's my goal is to create long term relationship, long term contract, and take the entire vineyard consistently, vintage after vintage. Uh-huh. I've, I've done that uh, as a company for you know as a, as the great purchaser for our company. I've accomplished that over the years. It's not easy to hold on that contract. Shit, you know, it's like you can lose it any minute. Um, but for five years, I've had some of the exact same vineyards and the exact same rows, and that's the beautiful thing about a vineyard doesn't program if you can stick it out. Yeah. Um, but with with the Rutherford Roussan, for instance. That's one where I had in 15 and 16, then it's a finished relationship at this point. So okay. unfortunately, I didn't work out to hold on to it. I sure wish I could have continued to express that vineyard, but uh, the owners just, I think, had a different strategy. So it's it's a little heartbreaking to not to lose that opportunity or to lose that vineyard source, but it was also wasn't smart to stick with it as a business owner if I'm trying to have a consistent, concentrated right. contract. Do you know that they ripped the, the plants out or if they just went with another? No. Uh, so those folks are selling to a, a different company now. Okay. Yeah, so they're, they're going to be there. I mean, then again, it might that property might sell. It's a little 10-acre pro- or 8-acre property in Rutherford there next to Frog's Leap, the Haug Vineyard. Um, they have Sal Blanc, a little pick pole in this uh, Roussan. Beautiful, beautiful Sal Blanc. Um, wow, pick pole in Napa. Yeah, that's blowing my mind i don't know i didn't eh. it was like tough. how it was tough to work with i know it's hot over there man exactly it got it got real sunburnt which isn't yeah but, you know uh you, you can manage that differently and work on it but uh i, yeah, I don't know canopy management i don't know what you can do about consistent 90 degree yeah. days on your pig pool well this was a barrier this was the end of the block this was the end row as well so it right was, it was just getting fried yeah. wow yeah. But uh, weird decisions that the, people make in the wine industry. Well, you sometimes. have to remember, you're, Brian, when you're planting something and everyone around you is planting Cabernet and, you know, maybe you don't care for Cabernet. Yeah. And so you plant some things you're in. Yeah, we don't want to make a million dollars. Let's well, plant some pig you know, and some people fry it and actually, see if we can sell it to some dude. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Come on. Who's uh, running that show? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> someone in my family, it sounds like. <laughs> Um, hey, can we take a break here and uh, and 
before we move into um uh, well, I, I, I wanted to, one one last Please. question. Brian had, well, I think what Brian was asking when he said about other varieties, do you want to work with? I think he was also asking, are there any other, would you be interested in adding another white wine? So are you, do you have any interest in adding another varietal either on the red or the white, white wine side? Uh, I don't at this time, primarily because as a business owner, there's enough gorgeous inventory to, to work on right now. Gorgeous inventory. GI. Yeah. GI. Yeah. You know, I don't, I just don't think it'd be smart to diversify. And frankly, the, the, our business is to just offer something niche and offering a classically structured Roussan, a classically structured Zen. That is niche. We did deliver on, on that mission statement. And at this point, next step is to make it a livable business and to succeed and to continue to invest in these, in these uh, vineyards and sell. Yeah. At this cool. time, it wouldn't make sense. Um, yeah. We were uh, just you know, curious if there's I, anything, I I mean, something I, that you're passionate about that you're like uh, hoping to get a little bit out of or something, but it sounds oh, like man. you're pretty, it's pretty set. Yeah. I'm pretty, I mean, I'm definitely, I'm pretty stubborn. I'm pretty set. I'm also pretty much like I'm kind of a little bit lost and kind of don't care because my primary goal was to learn how to make great, what I believe is great wine for other folks. I, I believe I have inventory that's, that does that for, for folks. The next step right now, having inventory is to make a business of it and continue that. So that's really the focus. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to start this brand uh, with my father. We're in this together, but that the brand was started. The first vintage was 500 cases and that was an investment from the family. So I'm very lucky, fortunate to have that opportunity. I came from a small business family in Missouri. Uh, they're in the plumbing industry. And so when they uh, ultimately sold, let's see, that business um, in 2011. And so at that time, when we started the LLC in 2013 and started the 14 vintage, there was a little bit to invest in those 500 cases. At this point, it's, um, you know, bank loans and obviously yeah. just making sure the cash flow comes through right. true sales. Right. Um, so that's, that's, you know, where this business is at. I'm very happy to have wonderful vineyards that are, we can all drink. Um, but now I just, I very much want to make sure I make the business succeed. I, I gotcha. You want to, yeah. you gotta, you gotta sell that, yeah. that inventory. I, I gotcha. Yeah. Absolutely. Coming from Absolutely. a family business to yeah. uh, continue family business and yeah. to provide for others. If right. I can right now, it's just kind of a middle ground stage yeah. where, so, so the, you know, the, uh, Roussan, you guys is, uh, the brand name or the label is muddy arch. Yeah. Um, in, uh, in respect to the, uh, the arch and, yeah, and the, and, and the river, right. Thanks for asking. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm from Missouri. Um, and so the brand name Muddy Arch is uh, the St. Louis Arch and Mississippi River. It's uh, kind of a couple iconic pieces of the Midwest uh, for that town. Um, you know, I figured that no one knows, very few people, especially consumers, know what Roussan is, especially in the Midwest. But really, anywhere, um, these Roussans, they're not very large production, so I don't have much to sell anyway. So I could have chosen to sell that small production in California, but I, you know, I just was thinking, hey, if it's limited supply... And no one really gives a shit at this moment anyway. Why don't I try to convince people back home? You know, make them at the at the forefront of something new in terms mm -hmm. of white wine flavor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, if it, it's there's there's potential to scale in terms of plantings. Like right now, a buddy is uh, working on a lot of properties in Sassoon, and there, there's there's some planting contracts you could grab in Sassoon right now. So right. if there is demand, I would love to plant some Roussan and uh, get that out there more. But at the current time especially with the vineyard desnets, it's, it's a limited supply. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. branded for the hometown. Um, cool. And then Zinfandel, that's the Leonard brand. My you know, name is Chris Leonard. So that last name, the family name, want to make a strong name. So it's a small 
family business, but that doesn't, um, you know, that doesn't, uh, I'm still in California. I still love California. Yeah, yeah. I've been here for 12 years. I'm a, you know, I'm a resident. I'm a, I'm still a Midwestern guy, but this is a uh, California is just as important to me. So, you know, hence why I want to express these vineyards. So, um, the brands are for, uh, you know, Leonard brand for the family, Muddy Archer St. Louis, but Hey, it's just wine is for anybody. You know, I'm planning California. We'll see what happens with the future, but cool. that's where we're starting. Do you want to take that break? And we'll yeah. Well, the number one, let's, uh, how do we get a hold of the wines? Yeah. So, all right. Thanks, Brian. So the, our website's a uh, Leonard and that's L E O N A R D wineco.com. Uh, and there's the two brands, Muddy Archer and Leonard Zinfandel. So, would appreciate your support and I'd uh, love to get you to drink this wine. Um, so you can buy that direct. Uh, we can ship anywhere. And um, yeah, and like, otherwise we sell them in California restaurants, but the website's available for all. Yeah, and and, and like Chris was saying, I mean, people, have, if you're not familiar with Roussan and you want to try something different, you want to try something more importantly, if you want to try something good, um, reach out on that website and uh, get three bottles sent to your house. Get one of each uh, different vineyard designator. Get... Uh, get two reds and a white or just just play around a little bit um (laughs) and and like chris was saying too if you know you like chardonnay you like sauvignon blanc there's middle ground there it's not like you're going to be drinking something it's not like a riesling it's not like you're going to go whoa this is really different from there's 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 familiar flavor profiles but then just done with a different varietal that uh, you know have different um characteristics that's all but it's quality wine thank you sir and i will say that the uh in terms of you know, the body being kind of like a light body shard, like a Chablis, and the length of this wine being, you know, an acidic, like a Sauvignon Blanc. Those are true. What Roussan uh, has, I mentioned on the palate, is viscosity. That's very hard to find in any white wine, naturally. This uh, viscosity, to me, means it's just going to stick around on the palate. It's a dry wine. These wines are all dry. If you had sugar, viscosity would be actual sugar sticking around. Uh, the perception mm-hmm. of viscosity, that is. But true viscosity, such as these wines display, is uh, as fully dry wines viscosity is the perception that it will stick around and continue to please your palate and literally does stick to the palate and that's just from the varietal very very cool about the Roussan varietal and aromatically um that's why i kind of really mentioned the aromas you know i mentioned you know using the champagne yeast to maintain the aromas so what are the aromas of Roussan? uh you know honey as, as many of us know honey is a no. distinct Roussan characteristic what i love about Roussan as it ages um, however, the honey starts light or dark, it develops into something deeper. Um, Rutherford, for me, always has honeysuckle. Well, when it ages, it comes to be a little more like beeswax, for instance. Yeah. Um, so check out the honey on this varietal. The other things I get out of this varietal all the time is stone fruit. Yep. There's, yeah. there's peach pear, nectarine, yep. there's peach flesh, there's, there's the pith of, the, of a stone fruit you chew on. It's fresh, it's chewy. Um, so a gorgeous array of honey, uh, stone fruit, and very, very cool uh, to me is citrus, the land of vineyard in Sonoma, um, at the base of the Mayacamas. I always get lime, like lime rind, lime zest, mandarin, kumquat. I mean, it's just full of citrus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the terroir of Northern California. You look at the citrus in Landa, you look at the honeysuckle in Rutherford, and then maybe in El Dorado, I think, apricot and yeah. peach there's yeah. incredible apricot it's a, it's a warmer climate yeah and then mm-hmm. sam the one thing you uh, asked about i didn't fully finish on was the new is there any new oak in right these wines? right you know so the barrel fermented they're fermented in a 60 gallon oak barrel uh these barrels are generally neutral so there's no there's no oak flavor aroma left because the barrel's been used so many times 
all that flavor has been you know sucked out basically by previous vintages. However, in the El Dorado, uh, there there's a little new oak there because um, that's just a richer piece of land, a richer climate, or richer flavor. So the new oak is a it's a cool barrel. It's it's a it's a hybrid barrel of a French and acacia. Oh yeah. So yeah, the acacia is cool. Hmm. I mean, you know, you get a little vanilla on the El Dorado because of the French, but you also get a lot of uh, you get a lack of vanilla. You do get the opposite. You even do get kind of like white flowers and uh, and frankly, you know, like lime, that citrus again. That that can be imparted by that acacia wood, but only briefly on that wine. I think apricot from the vineyard is what really shines through. Yeah. So my percentage of new new acacia French oak on there is low to make sure the the vineyard aroma shows. But there's there's some body. Uh, some extra grip on the finish because of that wood, because of that oak. It, and, it's, uh, it's really interesting because it doesn't show any oak at all. Um, yeah, I, I just cool. assumed that they were all um, all neutral oak myself. But yeah. when you like, I think when you taste the when you taste Colorado on the finish, and this is a, I think a leeway into what I care about with red wine making a lot, and, and all wine making in general, I want a, a lengthy palate and acid and freshness and a finish, yeah. and that's what you yeah. get by picking early and having a leaner wine. Uh, if you let stuff go ripe, you kind of lose that. You tend to lose that. So by picking early, uh, trying to achieve a lengthy palate with freshness. All the three of these wines have the acid. Um, a little bit of acid. So I, as a person, I have like acid reflux, right? So like it burns, like bad heartburn. Yeah. And when I make wine, a lot of times I'm looking, I'm always, if the acid's not there naturally in the vineyard, I will add acid. I have no, I'm not a natural winemaker like that. Again, like it's the folks who don't add acid out of principle, fantastic. But for me... I just enjoy the freshness of Old World wine so much. If one of my California vineyards doesn't have the acid, I'm happy to add it to bring out what, what's wrong with that. It just tastes beautiful and fresh. You know, I want right. that in the wine. Right. So whether it was acidulated or not, all these wines have that backbone of freshness. The cool thing about the new oak and the Eldorado, I think, is uh, the combination of tannin and acid. And that's so important um, to creating length and chewiness. Yeah. And you'll see that in the Zinfandel and the red wines. But... All of them have acid, but with that tannic structure from the New York Barrel and El Dorado, oh my God, you get that finish to me is all of a sudden, it's like you just keep chewing and chewing yeah. and it, it hangs around with texture on the very back of your throat. And that's a beautiful thing, I think. Yeah, it is. It, it finishes really beautiful. Hey, while we set up the Reds, can we have a uh, little chat with Don here? And uh, Sure. Because yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious, Don. Is there wine where you're from? Like what kind of grapes are you guys growing? How come I've never had a Dutch wine? <laughs> Number one, I don't. I don't think there's there's definitely wine, but I don't think that the, uh, that the Dutch wines get out as much as they uh, as they should. It's a very very small production. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's been there's been wine in the Netherlands since Roman times, uh, and you know, definitely in the Middle Ages, 14th, 15th century, it it reaches height, and then the whole country started drinking beer, which they, uh, they still they still like still to do. do, yeah. <laughs> but um, after. Beer in the Netherlands? <laughs> yeah, shocking. <laughs> shocking, right? But they, um, but right now they are actually about 150 wine growers in the Netherlands, 150 different vineyards, and you'll see it's mostly in the southern part of the Netherlands. So this province called Limburg, and and I don't think you'll be able to repeat that. So and southern because of there's a little hotter down it's there. Hotter down there. Okay. Yeah, it's hotter down there, and and more southern. You're also getting more into the to the region of the. Um, you know, outside of Germany and, and right. France, you're getting a little close to that area where they grow those kind of wines. Right. But and another big thing you have in Netherlands, it's not as hot. It's, you know, we, the whole the whole country is very close to the ocean. 
the whole north and and west side of the country are bordered by the North Sea. So we have a lot of influences from from that from that ocean or that yeah. sea coming in, and uh, it's very wet. And it's also very right. far north, right? Very far north, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and you were explaining, yeah, that it's very that it's very wet. So there's issues with mildew, and you're saying they're having a really good vintage this year because it's dry. Yeah. So this year um, there was there was a big drought drought. I think I think the whole summer, starting in May and ending ending late August with some uh, with some rain. But normally in the Netherlands, you're lucky if you have a if a summer with not too much rain. And this year they had no rain for about three months. Same thing in wow. England. Um, but the wine growers had a great year. Yeah. Lots of sun, lots of 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 great development for their grapes, and uh, and they are everybody. You know they they made some some news items about and everybody's expecting to have a really good harvest too nice and next time you go home you're going to pick up some of those bottles and bring I'm them gonna, back to I'm us i'm going to pick you up some i'm going to pick you some bottles we definitely we'll need to try a white and a red to, to see what's yeah. going on yeah but they but they're they're doing a lot of different kind of grapes that i've never heard of definitely right. more mold resistant mildew resistant because it just it's very wet and the one you showed me i thought was really funny because a bunch of them i can't even pronounce i mean i don't even know how to say them but but there was one that was cabernet blanc so, you know, you've heard of Cabernet Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc. You've heard of Cabernet Franc, but I've never heard of Cabernet was, Blanc. Cabernet Blanc yeah, interesting, huh? So next time I'll go home, <laughs> I'll, I'll, go, I'll go look around a little bit and find you a couple All right. of beautiful Dutch wines. Yeah, and how did you get into wine, Don? I, got, I, I did hospitality management in the Netherlands. And, of course, you know, in the Netherlands, you drink a lot of French, um, uh, Australian, Chilean, South African wines. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, uh, but you don't really hear much about California wines or American wines at all, for that matter. Wow! So I did a little minor in wine when I was in school, and I, when I first moved to the states, I got huge exposure all of a sudden to all the the Californian Pinot Noirs and the uh, the Napa Valley Cabs, and then um, living in Denver, our wine program wasn't wasn't that that big, nothing uh, like it's here. So I kind of I kind of you know lay low and, and didn't learn too much to learn more about beer in Denver than anything else. <laughs> beer and uh <laughs> beer and marijuana most likely. <laughs> um and then and then I came and then I came uh, across this job and I said, you know what, why why wouldn't I go out to wine country for for a couple of years and learn everything I can about about these American American grapes in Sonoma and um and actually on my first time in the United States in 2012, 2013 me and my uh, girlfriend, we did a road trip, and we ended up here in Sonoma. Um, and if you told me five years ago I'd be living here after that time, I would have not believed you. Yeah. And, and we, at the first winery we went to and taste was Chateau Saint-Jean. Wow. And then we did uh, VJB and I think uh, yep. B-Wise. Wow. So I still have some bottles of that, of that time left wow. at, at home. You're one of those guys likes to hold on to that wine huh? for the <laughs> memories. You're going to open that up on your 20th wedding anniversary or something. Yeah. And it's going to taste like shit. And you're going to say, why the fuck did we hold on we, to that we wine? We would so prefer long? that you just drank the wine you purchased. <laughs> Winemakers want you to just drink the wine. Just drink it. Yeah, but we, you know, at that point, they got we more. Like, we were like, oh man, these are special occasion wines. We bought these wines in wine country. Right. Uh, little right. did I know that. I should have just started drinking them right away. Yeah, right. You're right. Because you'd be living next door. You could buy exactly. some more. <laughs> All right. And Don, and Don, you've passed level one on your um, um, W set and you're yes. going for your two. You just ca- hopefully get a little time off. Maybe if we close in January for uh, exactly. for yeah. a week or so, you can get that done. I got to find a weekend in January and right. just go up there. Right. 
All right, very cool. Very so, Chris, you got your uh, Zinfandel set up here. We got sure. um, a very different label. I, I like the Muddy Arch label. That's the one I was familiar with when I first met you with the with the arch on it. And this one almost looks, um, I don't know if it's Bordeaux-like. It's definitely a more uh, um, yeah. masculine sort of a domineering label on the uh, on the Leonard White Street. Yeah, yeah a little more said, traditional. Strong name. Yeah. Strong name. Yeah. Strong name. Yeah. Or, <laughs> is that a family, a, a self-imposed or self-made family crest? It's exactly self-made family crest. I mean, yeah, you got to think of something, right? <laughs> right. Something to, oh, yeah. A, a logo, a brand image. But it's, yeah. Bart, it's Bart's, Bart's got a lizard on his label. He knows. Oh, you do not have a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess there is a lizard. Yeah, there is. <laughs> but it's not a, um, as Randall Graham said, it's, it's not a... Um, Critter oh label. Oh God! What did it, yeah. you were? We were talking about that earlier, Chris. That that we ran into Randall Graham at um, right. for Grenache Day, and yeah, and he was saying that he he swore to himself that he would never do a critter label, yeah. meaning something with like a bear or something on it. But then, as he's talk as he's talking about that, he's opening up these cans of sparkling Grenache that have oh. a big cow on them. No, it was oh, a moose. A moose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was that his wine? Yeah, that was, yeah, his, that was wine, his wine. And that's when that guy that was with him started saying, "Now wait a minute, Randall." <laughs> what are you talking about? You've got one in front of you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so I'm sorry. I didn't oh. So yeah, very, very nice label um, on the uh, Zinfandels. And uh, the logo is just, uh, you know, like we had to choose a logo and what, what it is, it's a, it's a rampant lion. Um, you know, it's most, it got, there's so many damn rampant lions actually on, on uh, logos throughout the wine industry, but it's a good one. You know, it symbolizes strength and, and ferocity and um, it's, you know, it's a powerful symbol. Yeah, um, but I think what's cool is that so the the designer we work with is from Illinois, um, so she's done a really good job. We think with our website and our labels, um, and she, I, we went to her and said, "Hey, would you know do rampant line and 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 make it finessed, make it feminine?" And so this little label, this little logo, it has like a a little pot belly. It's got rounder curves. Um, it's actually quite is a combination of uh, masculine and feminine attributes. Um, and then lastly, <laughs> or, or just a combination of me and Bart. That's right. Pot belly on there. <laughs> this was around the time I met you. I want to sue you. Wait a minute. <laughs> Likeness of character. But this little line is cool because this little lines, uh, he's holding up a glass of wine. That's, I think what there's a million rampant lines out there, but I, as far as I understand, it's the only one that's holding up a glass of wine. He's not, he's not slamming it. He's, he's just looking at it with intellect intact. And I think he's appreciating the wine. So, I mean, you know, to be honest, when I drink alcohol, I enjoy, you know, spirits, tequila, beer, you know, I love to drink that stuff and let's say get drunk off that, you know, but with wine, um, I've always just had an appreciation. Um, I've always drank it with tact and I, I don't know. I just, I, I, when I drink the wine, it's, it's really it's an intellectual experience. It's impressive. Yeah. And so I, uh, I take my time at the wine. And so that little logo was to signify, you know, Hey, and, and enjoy this bottle. Hopefully you can think about it a little bit. I think yeah. the European style wine, a Bordeaux, I, they're leaner wines, right? But they do take time to age and they're, they're pretty thought provoking. Um, so this very much is our effort to make, um, Zinfandel in the style of Bordeaux. I think you'll see the tannin structure. You might agree with that, um, and, and the finesse as well, but it's, that's the beautiful thing about these, these Zinfandels being farmed for concentration, but picked early is that being picked early means they're not going to have that big bold body like you expect out of California wine, but being picked early, if, if grown with concentrated tannins, you get 
you get coarseness um, and length in the palette and texture that you don't see otherwise. So achieving that texture is what uh, this Linners Infinil brand is, is going after. Yeah, you can just, I'm looking at Bart's, because my wines are behind the microphone, but I'm looking at Bart's three Zins that he's got poured there, and the color is amazing on them. I mean, these are, uh, I would even venture to say that's a Pinot right there in the first mm-hmm. glass that I'm looking at. Well, you know, I mean, that's, <clears throat> you have to understand something. Zinfandel isn't known to be a incredibly dark color. I mean, certainly some vineyards are when they get, you know, incredibly ripe, they start to give more color. Mm-hmm. But I think Zinfandel it's you know, I've said it before. I think it's a delicate grape. Yeah. Um, and what you've done with Chris is he's, you know, picking them earlier, really bright fruit, really bright acidity. Um, and the colors are, 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 are shockingly, um, bright and, yeah, and pretty, totally. but where I was going with it is that a lot of times when you see Zinfandel that, um, is dark in color, it's because it has that little touch of petite Syrah or something, right? Or, you know, right. if it's an old vine vineyard, it's got a little something in the vineyard, Alicante that's right. giving it that yeah. darkness, but Zin by itself is, tends to be, you know, color, well, color of this. You caught me, there's petite Syrah in here. Is it really? Oh, yeah, for me, there has in to be. In all of them. Because just like, cause just like you said, you know, if, you, if you're picking early, if you're doing Zen, it would probably be too finessed. And it would right. be for me, too. I like elegant things, elegant wines, but um, there's about 10% petite syrah in here. Okay. And that's, that's that structure. I mean, you know, that should have added more color, right? That's how delicate the Zen is. Well, right. The petite right. here does add some color, does add some tannin. I needed that in right. these wines. And that is an effort to make Zen, I think, as strong as it can be as a varietal. You know, ninety percent Zen still shows itself as this as is Zen. Zinfandel. Right. The petite here adds power and aggression, um, but it's not the main show at all by any means. Yeah. Um, what we're drinking is is a vertical of the uh, Napa Valley uh, Zinfandel. Been fortunate to work on. These are very old vines, are like forty five years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll be ripped up next year. So very sad, but they've been around for a long time. Why so are they getting ripped child- out? Cabernet for sure. Yeah. So Child's um, Valley. Yeah. Can so you this, explain sure. to the listeners where Child's Valley is? Yeah. So this is this is Napa, but Child's Valley is one of those uh, 16 sub ABAs. And Child's Valley is basically right above Rutherford uh, in those eastern mountains. So if you go to Rutherford, have the mountains, um, Child's Valley, it's its own little hanging valley about a thousand feet up. Um, at the southern tip of it is Atlas Peak. And then just north of it is Pope Valley. Hmm. Um, so Child's, uh, this is such an effeminate. Zinfandel primarily because the nights are damn cold. The yeah, Child's Valley nights are freezing, man. It's um kind of sits like a little sink up there. Yeah, cools down. It takes a long time to warm up in the morning. It is cold, man. It's cold at night, and and the sun sets even earlier because the, mm-hmm. the valley is so narrow that you probably lose sun half an hour. Mm-hmm. Wow, for the tree line goes back. Floor, uh, so. Yeah. so yeah, you get but you do get those hot days. You get those very hot days up in Child's Valley, Pope Valley, that area, um, but. It, the cold nights just bring this thing such finesse. And then also very cool, as I mentioned, that Pope Valley is to the north. Pope Valley, uh, very different growing area than Child's Valley. But a benefit that Child's receives from Pope Valley is, uh, is wind flow. There's a massive howling wind that comes through midday. Um, this vineyard I farm myself, um, it's all the other vineyards I work with closely with the vineyard managers from day one, you know, from, from Bud Break or from contract. And I'm, I'm with them. Of course, it's their job and it's their it's their territory, but I, you know, on this vineyard though, I had the chance to farm it personally. And so I'm out there, you know, midday and it's just the wind comes through and that's what, that's what saves some of the, you know, some sunburn. And so do you get a hundred percent of this, um, these grapes for your program? 
Yeah, so this is a this is a on that vineyard which is called Rustridge Vineyard. There's uh, 15 acres of Zinfandel. Um, this is a special. Well, this is a two and a half acre block. It certainly is the the best quality, the best the best block of Zin up there. I mean, there's something special that the clone is. Um, you know, it's one of those heritage clones. I don't know what the hell it is, but it's not. Um, I know, for instance, it's not. It's not Primitivo, it's, and it's yeah, it's not the Dimple clone. Not like, the Dimple clone. The clones are. I love Zinfandel clones, and um, I, I avoid. Or is it a field selection? Maybe. I don't, I don't know, man. It's just one of those old old vineyards. Yeah. I don't even know how long it is. But right. in terms of its flavor profile, it's not the Dimple. Uh, I, I try to avoid fruit forward Zinfandel and fruit forward wines personally as much as possible. So, when crafting these from the start, I look for certain clones, um, and then then the grape growing begins after that's found, and so. All the different Zins that work with, um, they're, they're structured clones, and they have length in the palate. And, and Zinfandel is so easy to be fruit-forward and so easy to show its fruit. It's a big challenge to make it lengthy in, in the style of Bordeaux because you got to start from, you know, start that clone. Make sure you have depth as an opportunity. There's, uh, I have a rock pile Zinfandel we work on, and on the exact same block, there's a Dimple clone and Duprat clone. And we take the Duprat because they're on the exact same day, and... You know, early September, you taste them, and uh, the Duprat is it's ripe. It has great length and freshness, and the Dimples, it's right. It has a fruit-forward nature and, and uber-fruity character, which consumers love that flavor, and, and producers love making money off that flavor, and that's just great. Um, I'm the one sitting with this great inventory, not making money yet, but that's all right. But it's once it's, <laughs> <laughs> once it's moving and put in people's mouths, you're going to see uh, length in the palate and, and that, that finesse. Yeah. So it starts with the clone. So here on Child's Valley... Uh, 45-year-old vines, I don't know what it is, but man, they're, they're tiny berries. Um, all those years making Cabernet, it's, it's about, uh, you know, everything comes from the skin. So how do you concentrate the skins through your farming or, or through in the winery, but working off those skins. And so, you know, it's a $50 wine and the margin for us is very small because the fruit cost is very high if you're going to, if you're going to farm for concentration. That's, that's clutch to trying to make a, a great wine in my mind is to, to pay it for it from the beginning. Um, and so this fruit is always low yield and these berries are, are damn tiny because of whatever the hell clone it is. And, uh, love, love the terror of Childs. There's always a uh, cherry, you know, I'm sure you guys might agree, but Child's Belly cherry, that's, that's, that sure is known yeah. that that's a piece of the terroir. And, um, I love having picked early. I love seeing, um, non ripe cherry flavors. If I had picked later, this would be maraschino cherry, you know, right. This would be served maraschino cherry, but this is a uh, Bing cherry, black cherry, sour cherry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I love totally. that you can see that different level of the cherry. And and it's really interesting because there's a common evolution through the three wines, um, but yet th- none of them taste like they they all taste like they could be current releases. I know what are, what are the vintages from left it's to right? 14, 15, 16. 14, 15, 16. 14, 15, 16. Okay. Yeah. And but you know what I mean. It's hard to tell that they're 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 very consistent. They're very they're all very fresh, you know. But I the sixteen is so the sixteen and, though is sets it really sets itself apart right. from the other two. I mean, yeah. with that aroma and yeah. the, the the concentration of flavor on that. Yeah, the sixteen is cool because it's uh it's only fifteen percent new oak, and it's just it's just so important. Uh, the wine club release we're about to do here in a few weeks is very cool because it compares the 16 Child's Valley's in versus the 16 Rock Pile's in. And what I'm going to show people is 15% new oak versus 100% new oak. Because the Rock Pile's idea. 100% new yeah, oak? Yeah, Rock Pile's going to be 100% new oak in 16. And that's, wow. that's just such a massive idea to think about because as a winemaker, 
that's not a, that's not necessarily a good thing. Like, why the hell is there 100 new elk on a finesse variety? Right, <laughs> yeah, no right. Unless I wasn't happy. I'm with glad them. I didn't ask you that yeah, question. I mean, yeah, I just you know I mean that rock pile vineyard is, is so beautiful and I've been for five years now and every year has been concentrated. But it's it's a it's a reminder of the drought we had and the water that came after the drought because in 16 was the first vintage that I saw. Uh, the water table get its get its feet wet again, and it got uh, got hungry again, and was able to to give water to those vines. So, sixteen was the only vintage of my rock pile that I was like, you know what, that water really hit the grapes hard, and the concentration isn't just where I need it. So, that's why I was gonna be hundred percent new oak, and yeah. it's a fifty dollar bottle of wine. I'm not gonna sell somebody a fifty dollar bottle of wine unless it's a fifty dollar bottle of wine. So. What can I do? I'm going to make some beautiful slutty oak on there, you know? So. <laughs> totally. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, and so uh, which uh, grower do you get your rock pile from? So I uh, work with Gary Branham, who has his own. You might, I don't know if you know Gary, but he's got his, uh, he's got a label for a long time now. And it's, I love the story because he, he's, man, he's a, he's not an old timer at all. He just, he's just a, an established guy in the industry. I mean, he used to, um run the Sutter home winemaking program right. for many wow. years, right? And now he has, uh, he, uh, he left that and... Um, Which, by like, the way, s- you know, saved a lot of these vineyards. I always like to give a shout out to Sutter home, White Zinfandel for... Uh, well, it saved all the old vine vineyards. Yeah, if it wasn't for them making that White Zinfandel and yeah. people here drinking it all over the country, we wouldn't have some of these uh, historical vineyards that we still have, so... Exactly, man. Yeah. Like, it's... Yeah, it's easy to put down some like when I, stuff. But Chris, when I worked bridge, at Kenwood, yeah. when I worked at Kenwood, we made a Sonoma Valley. This is in the mid '80s. Oh. We a Sonoma Valley Old Vine White Zinfandel. Oh yeah, <laughs> Old Vine White Zin. We didn't call it Old Vine, but but it, it was, was a White Zin, right? And it was from primarily you know all those Old Vine vineyards that Kenwood yeah. used to. Th- then they started doing red wine production out of them. Wow. Um, but yeah, it's it pretty like? amazing. It was damn good to my memory. It was probably a little sweet, <laughs> but it was pretty damn good. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, that was that, that was White Zin was in. I can say that when I was, yeah, it was in. I mean, that's that's what gave this guy uh, his uh, you know revenue to go buy a Absolute, uh, right. That's exactly right. 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 Perfect. Some super high end Zinfandel out there. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, he got he has like this this thirty acre property. That's it's man, it's crazy to get to. It's it's. I just recently drove out to almost the end of rock pile i just i kept going and going i'm like it's got to end here sometime and i finally turned around and i talked to jeff Cohn after that and he said no you still had to go quite a bit longer because where i told him and i mean it's it's a long way out there and that uh, that area it's unbelievable what the watershed is like out there because it's just so steep and there's so many little canyons and Mm -hmm. and all these vineyards just kind of grow on the ridges of all these canyons it's spectacular really something it's gorgeous man i mean to get to this guy's vineyard is uh an hour and a half off of um yeah or an hour and 15 minutes off of 101 yeah Jesus. absolutely you it have is to go it's a few miles from the ocean when you get there i mean wow you got to go deep and you got to go i gotta cry i gotta it's it's really cool like old hand card road and old homestead and yeah i gotta cross the stream and it's a it's a fairy tale to get you know to get out there so wow. yeah, very cool to, to work i mean Leonard Wine Company, the brand is, is you know, it's Northern California terroir, you know, but with Roussan and Zen. And, you know, I have to drive, it's like five hours between the Eldorado Roussan vineyard right. and the Rock Pile Zen vineyard and everything's in between. So it's an, it's an incredible uh, opportunity to see Northern California, you know, and like the history, you know, Eldorado's next gold was discovered and Rock Pile is, you know, Rock Pile, some crazy old Indian name. 
You know, yeah, and the farming that went out there, and all the cattle ranches back in the day, and um, yeah, and and I, you know, there's something about all you young winemakers. You really enjoy putting in time in your cars, driving from vineyard oh, to vineyard. It's <laughs> true. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> you get a lot of time to listen to the winemakers podcast when you're driving around. <laughs> yeah. uh, Damage my Jeep, though, man. It it um it broke the uh, the axle, and then it uh and then I fishtailed um, my bins off the trailer and drip the you know, Shaler jackknifed and uh, broke the bumper. So Rockpile, <laughs> Rockpile's tough. Rockpile is a unreal yeah. to get to, and it's a it's a beautiful. It's like a, definitely an oasis. So yeah, and totally. the, the dichotomy of Rockpile and Childs, it, it's so cool to work off these two vineyards because, again, I'm trying to compare to what right and and Rockpile is certainly warmer, richer, you know, a little riper. It's a bolder wine, and this Childs is so finesse because those cold nights because of the canyon it's in. So you get a chance to see feminine versus masculine and all the wines, the, the thread is that they're elegant, but to me, elegance is, is a combination of, of masculine and feminine. And and the thing about it is it's, it's actually, it seems like it should be opposite. It seems like, like rock pile should be the cool spot because it's so close to the coast and that, you right. know, Charles Valley, which is actually East of Napa should be so hot, but right. it's just about, it makes no the sense. Lo- it, but it's, it's about the, the location. It's yeah. the microclimate, total microclimate, total microclimate. Yeah. And it's within, in this case, it's within both vineyards. You know, yeah. it's not even like a broad spectrum area. <clears throat> well, well, going back to that 15%, new oak when i didn't have to do you know the 100 for instance on the vineyard where it needed to help that vintage so the 15 percent new oak here on on child's valley i'm just so excited about showing people um that piece of land because 15 percent new oak you get structure imparted but you do not get a cover up of the vineyard at all right i mean if you look at the aroma on the 16 you have to you have to wait for it and when it finally comes you get black cherry you know black pepper and you get the aroma eventually and it hangs around so i think as much as i love uh, certain yeast strains and certain new oak, they, they can be impactful in the aroma. And that's why I try my best, as long as the fruit's concentrated and farmed that way, to to use less. Because, I mean, you, you get the, the grip on the 16, like the grip on the finish, that's all that's all fruit. You know, that's not, that's right. not oak. The oak would be a width. Right, right. But the, the, the fruit tannin is, is the grip on the actual yeah. back of your tongue, right? And so that's that's what's impressive to me about this vintage off child, 16. It's, um, it's, it's, <clears throat> The vineyards get ripped up here in a second, but you're, you're tasting one of those old line yeah. vineyards. I mean, you say you work with Ridge for a long time. Like, I know that program was less new oak and, you know, right. to an extent, and, like, make sure that those vineyards really came out, those field blends. That's, right. that's crazy. Some of the wines I've tasted. Um, so this one, I think, is really cool. It's like, okay, you get 90 Zen, 10 Petit Syrah, 15% new oak. You get Child's Valley in your face. This is yeah. what Yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful wines. It yeah. yeah, it's a bummer they're pulling it out. Yeah, yeah, good old Cabernet, so... But uh, I thought it was cool. Uh, the owners uh, sold it. Guess where they guess who they sold it to? To a. Um, uh, hold on. Yeah. Uh, whoever's who's, guy. Who's making the prisoner right now? Yeah. No, <laughs> to Gallo. Good. Who did they sell yeah, to? Yeah. No, it's cool. I think they. I think it's the same reason they they work with me on this small business plan that I have with them, and it's um. They I think they like the idea of a small business to these owners um, up at Rustridge. I think. Uh, so they sold it to a, a Hasidic Jewish company to make kosher wine. In oh. LA. So how weird huh. is that? So it was really cool. They got offers from Gal. They got offers from people, and I'm sure it's all financial stuff too. But in the end of the day, they're like, "Hey, you know what? We're going to be comfortable selling to these guys in LA who are having niche. They want kosher wine. They pay well, whatever." So you know, and deal, and, and I'm sure Sam will talk about this in a future episode. But Sam this year made um, some kosher wine. They made it over at Mayakama. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, my comma had makes some kosher wine, um, so they were making some Napa Valley Grenache, and they're going to make it kosher. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always loved. We used to have the Hagafen Roussan on the list, I, and it, it all started because we had a catering event and we needed a kosher wine, and so I I had never you know purposely bought a kosher wine before. So I had to actively search out people that made kosher wine. And I love the terminology for, for the kosher wine. It says that there is a rabbi present from the moment they pierce the skin of the grape. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Isn't it, it sounds like, uh, what is that when the kid's born and they snip his penis? What is it? <laughs> right. The, that's that's kind of what it sounds like. It uh, sounds like, like the, you know, they're from the moment they pierce the skin of the grape. Yeah. Yeah, very seriously. Yeah. yeah. Um, Although, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, guy, I said, Hey, because I had a chance to meet these new owners. I said, Hey, so to be honest with you, I mean, I don't know how kosher wine is made at all. You know, I have no idea. And they're like, He's like, He's like, No, man, it's the exact same. It's just you have to be certified a rabbi, whatever it is, right? You have to be, right? He's like, The process is no different. I'm like, Look, I don't know if you're being honest or not. You might be, but I just have no idea. And is there rabbis that just go around? Well, so that's what Sam said. Like, I mean, they're not doing that's what Sam says is they're they're working with a guy who. He is a, he's a, um, yeah, he's a rabbi and, and he's knows about winemaking. I mean, he's, this is one of the things that he does. Yeah. So that's when you get so, to the top of the top of the market there for rabbis, right? When well, my, it's you know, like, uh, oh yeah. The, next year I get to be the guy who goes around and, and, uh, so like watches them make wine. Like 35 <laughs> years ago, my friend Pat, when one of his first, um, jobs in the wine business was over at a Napa Valley winery. And they made some kosher wine there. And he said what they would do is well, on the day of the kosher wine, they would use the kosherizer and right. they would the, the um, spray, the sanitize everything, oh, yeah. which was just a, a hot sea, a hot pressure washer. Yeah. And then then the uh, the rabbi would come in and they would just tell him what buttons to push and um, and they'd just stand behind him. And that was, you know, again, 35, 40 years ago now. Um, but yeah, um, so that's what it was. I'm sure it's, um, like everything in the wine business has changed a lot since evolved a little bit. Uh, yeah. Well, we get some feedback with new company here in Napa in a few years. Right. Right. Yeah. Chris, I can tell you what I love most about your wines and, um, is, is the acidity. Mm. Um, I like, I like wines that go with food. Um, I'm not, you know, when I get off work at night, I'm typically drinking, um, something with some acid cause I'm getting off work and it's. I'm hot. I've been just worked eight hours on my feet and I want something that's refreshing. Something that's going to make my mouth water a little bit and, and want me, um, makes my mouth want another sip of wine or a little bit of food. That's right, man. Um, and I think that's key to, to good winemaking. You've definitely accomplished that with both the, both the white and the reds. I love this, um, lineup of the Zinfandels. Um, yeah, I mean, and the, just, just the fact that it's just a vintage, um, right. that's different on these and they're yeah. so completely different. Yeah. They're um, like 90s in 10 petite pretty much. Right. And where's the petite coming from? So it's the same vineyard. I mean, being vineyard doesn't So these, you know, work on vineyard doesn't program. It's 95% of the fruit uh, has to come from that vineyard to be, to be legally labeled as such. Um, so yeah, they have petite straw on the Rustridge vineyard. Um, it's, huh. it's younger, but you know, it's incredible. Uh, God, when I, when I pick the Zen, um, the petite up there takes a lot longer. So if I pick the Zen at like 14% alcohol, the petite's at about 12. So when I pick wow. the petite, those, those tannins are coarse. Those tannins are, I are bad though. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, I tried never let the tannins get too soft on the Zen. I'm always picking before that happens. But if they're, 
if they're moderate strength, that petite Syrah is, is square as hell. And yeah. that's part of what creates this as an ageable wine. I mean, this, this is in needs of petite. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, are you a pain in the ass for some growers? Because I know, especially... We're, well, yes, they, you said you are. They love no. him because they're, they don't have to wait till November to pick. It's true. They get more, they get more money off me, but I also have... But, they, but it's, they're, you're on a different schedule. Because I know I've seen that with Bart this year with us going out to some different vineyards that, you know... Th- th- a lot of them would prefer to just pick everything on the same day and have all their um, their winemakers happy with just taking the fruit on that day. Um, when you start talking about doing numerous picks of, of different rows, then that's more work for them. Well, on, on the uh, on most of these vineyards, it's the block I have is isolated, so I'm not, okay. not sharing. Um, you know, these are our our rows, and the contract is there. And I mean. These are long-term relationships. I mean, Gary Branham, working with him, I just called him up one day because he has his own brand, uh, Branham. And, uh, you know, his Zins, I think, are 35 bucks or something like that in the rock pile. So years ago, I tasted that. I'm like, I just knew it was really in, incredibly high-quality fruit. So, and I said, you know, if, I, if he owns the land, therefore his bottle is 35, not 50. I could get it. But right. the fact that it tastes that good, I said, hey, let me, I called him up and I said, you know, I introduced myself and asked him if he would sell me a little fruit. And he just, he just gave that a shot. And we've been together since. So it's, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pain in the ass uh, in life, in particular, but I think it's still enjoyable to work together. Just in general. Yeah, in general, absolutely. But, we'll have your dad on next time. Oh, we'll man, see what he fun. thinks. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, we're a good team. She's real relaxed, and uh, yeah, I'm very particular. But, you know, the details in the wine show, I, just, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to show the vineyard, but the fact that they're so detailed, yes, I mean, I'm very, I just have kind of high demands, but then again, I also do this work myself and I work besides people and make sure everyone's happy. Yeah. It's, uh, being from the Midwest and coming from business family. Um, the relationship part is the most important. It's the customer service, you know, through the purchase at the end or just, or just securing the fruit. Uh, these, these are real relationships in my opinion. So, so, um, do you have a distributor you work with in St. Louis? So St. Louis is our only distributed state. Yes. And it's well, talking about how hard it is to get wines across the United States. Your distribution is true because, we're selling a Roussan back there at, at cost. It was the only way to get in, you know? So we're selling a, our $35, uh, the Aaron Roussans. What we started to do was we started to basically make those barrels select and then just pick out, I picked out these barrels that were least expressive of the vineyard and made a blend. So I have a California Roussan on the market and then kick that back to St. Louis for a 22 okay. retail instead of 35. So right. no margin, it's a bummer, but it's the only way to get sales help and to uh, get the brand name out there. Right. You know? And it's a beautiful wine because it's, it's obviously it's, it's worth $35 because um, fortunately there's not been a, a bad barrel that's been produced. It's just those are the least expressive. So, for instance, talking about Sonoma, the land of Indian Sonoma full of citrus. Well, if there was eight barrels, you know, probably five of them demonstrated that the most. And the three that didn't give that character went to that California Roussan blend. Beautiful wine, just the less expressive of the site. So I, um, I opened up another bottle here of uh, this is my... A new release for me, a 2015 Cabernet from a vineyard called Desnudos. Oh, wait a minute. And I got the Zen. You just poured the Zen. Um, it's a vineyard that I would say um, was picked on the earlier side also. Okay. Um, wait, which one should I be drinking right now? I Try, try the cab because that's what we're talking about is the cab. Um, I just don't want to dump out these wines. Well, there's here. Pour the zin out there. Uh, well, no, this one. This is painful. Okay. Um, oh, and and I, it's a it's a new wine for me. 
it was a one-time vineyard. Um, you know, they they moved on to sell the whole vineyard to one grower or one buyer. Um, and it's an interesting wine for me because working here, and as you said, working with all these in the past, I've worked with wineries where it's about making a deep, concentrated Cabernet, and this is a little more old, old school for me. Um, and um, it's not quite as concentrated, but I think it's going to age out real well. Right. And so I don't, I don't know if you've tasted this or not yet. I don't Ryan, think I but, have. No, we've got a um, new Cabernet on our list by the glass, the Adesio, that uh, is kind of in that style. It's a Sonoma, Sonoma Valley cab that is in that sort of leaner. And it's um, called what? I can't say it. A. It's, it's like a, audacious, but it's. You. How do you say? Oh, you. Say, that sounds you. great when you yeah, say it. It's French. Oh, God, I've never wee, even... Wee. I, and I always think I would know every winery, at least in Sonoma. Right. No, you don't. No, never. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like the richness, the way it uh, goes on the sides, the sides of your inner cheeks and wraps around down the, the back of the tongue. I mean, that's... If that, whether or not it came from picking early, I mean, that's something that you don't always achieve. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's um, pouring it for people... Um, it's just it's a it's different than the typical Cabernet I think coming out of yeah. Sonoma and Napa. Right Thank there. God, certainly Napa. Yeah, no, I love this. Yeah. So anyway, that's really um, good, Bart. All right, Chris, let's um, let's get down to first of all, uh, are you done with harvest? It oh, is yeah. November first. Mm-hmm. You've picked all your grapes are in, I assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the grapes are in. You got so a couple things down. fermenting that's still. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at the. If you look at the uh, the history of the red wines I've worked on, the Zinfandel, like I said, it's if I did 100% Zin, which I've done in the past, unless it's the most, you know, concentrated fruit on its own, 100% Zin can be tough for me to say, hey, that's the best wine, I, red wine I can make out of this blend. So um, I've always worked with, within the Zin, I've had Carignan, um, Petite Syrah, and then at times, uh, Alicante Touche or Petit Verdot. So... Uh, did you guys catch that one? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Class disrespecting your own wine. And I've and I and I've been and I've been spitting the whole time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's I don't, so we don't just make uh, strictly Zen. That, that's our focus. But there are there are pieces that go into the Zen that make it. Um, I think it's flavorful as it is. And so whether it's a Carignan, Petit Syrah, Petit Verdot, Alcant de Boucher, um, that that can be in the wines at different vineyards, different vintages, at, at little increments. Uh, so this year has been really fun. This year, we let's see, since it's so damn hard to get distributors, which I would, which I would love to do, and I'm confident it can be done. I know. Um, you know, I think I think we can get wines uh, across the United States. I mean, of course, we do have supporters in you know Massachusetts, New York, East Coast. You know, individuals who are in the wine club and whatnot. So it's fantastic to do that. Um, but in terms of distribution, I mean, I think that these wines could be um, that less ripe style of Zen or sign can be communicated across all wine consumers, and hopefully they can um, can enjoy the style and start to drink it more than they currently are. So distribution is important to me, even if it means we're taking a very tiny margin. Right. I know Tom um, agrees. It's um, it's I think it's the idea of entrepreneurship to um, to invest and, and share and spread, and taking risks along the way, which we are we are full of them. But there's also momentum to um, to get these wines out there. So this year making a red wholesale skew and not quite sure where it's going to go yet. But the point was to step out of Napa and Sonoma to find fruit that cost maybe a third of the price and therefore bring the bottle cost down and make that a, a price point that can be sold in distribution. Um, 
kind of yeah, i like that idea because because for me it's an introduction to the to the brand right the idea is to get wine climbers to be become wine climbers to keep drinking these vineyards yeah. and wines because yeah. that's a limited supply that's only 200 cases max per vineyard because yeah. working on two acre increments and these two acre vineyard desnet wines only give you like you know up to 200 cases and so that's a finite supply um, yeah. obviously we hope to saturate that those vineyard sources with, with customers soon sure um, but that bigger idea of can we simultaneously reach more people for fun, for the fun of wine? And um, so, yeah, you know, we just, I went ahead and, and decided, well, I'm going to break apart the Zens I make and I'm going to ferment these varietals separately, go find the fruit elsewhere and just see how it, how it works out together. So our Zens age for 16 months um, before being bottled and they bottle age another eight months. So the, the Zens, you know, we release them after two years. It's quite a long time for Zens, but that that oak tanning you get is part of that that structure and that bottle aging is part of that extended structure so very important i think in the in the old world my making style is to put the time in um so even with these uh non-vineyard designate wines that are currently finishing up fermentation the zin the carignan petite sera petit verdot um they're still going to age for 16 months and so there's time to figure out how to make yeah. that marketable and what to do with it because it's it, i know mm -hmm. it's beautiful inventory sure but how, you know how you're gonna sell it and yeah. there's time right. to figure it out fortunately but it's been really cool to to you know usually the rusan comes in just after the zen and so this is the first mm. vintage i'm sure you guys have talked to many people this vintage that's it's late right compared to the past three years for instance so since we've been in business in 14 our first vintage you know 14 up to just prior to this year um you know it was pretty consistent you know i brought the uh the Zen in early to mid-September and the Rusan in mid-September. Um, this is the first year where the Zen came in late September and the Rusan late September, early October. So I've been, you know, we all are pushed back a few weeks, even picking early. Um, I'm, I'm later than ever, which has been very interesting. The chemistry has been very different this year because mm -hmm. of that. Um, as, a, as the job to make the wine has been you know, sure, more challenging. That's okay. I was talking to Buddy. He's like, we've had easy, you know, until now, man. And, all right. So I'll just, you know, we all tried our best. It's vintage, and it's it's, uh, it's it's been cool to see how to make kind of a different wine, working with different chemistry, and getting, uh, you know, powerful results still, nonetheless. It's been cool vintage. I'm excited about it for that reason. It's been a challenge, and it's the wines. Most of them are in barrel, and you know, beautiful, beautiful stuff. So yeah, I pressed my I pressed my last lot off today. Yeah. Um, and it's. And there's still gonna... Bart. There's still grapes down to down sure. up on the way to your house. Yeah. So there, there's, there's, um, you know, I, I saw uh, Phil Caturi today, uh, and they just picked the last of the Rossi Ranch today. Yeah. Um, I think there's still some steel plow Grenache out there. I know there's a bunch of Mountain Cabernet probably still hanging. It sounds like he said that they'll huh. be done middle of next week. Um, the vineyards down here at the bottom, um, one of those Cabernet vineyards goes to Valley of the Moon. I talked to the guy who owns that vineyard. Um, he's a neighbor. Um, he's getting picked on next uh, Friday. Um, I think the rest of them, I think everything will be gone off the vine probably next week. Right. So, um, uh, again, you guys, we're recording this the day before you hear it. So um, by the time the next episode comes out, I think pretty much everybody will be done. Right. right. Um, it, it has. It's been a it's been a long season um, uh, because things did kind of start out kind of um, it started late. Um, but there's always anticipation, regardless of how early or late it starts. And that builds into yeah. it. And then, you know, this has been it's been a cool year. 
but it's been a cool year in a very good way in that we didn't have these extended heat spikes. You know, well, we I'd, only got over a hundred right. a couple of times. And for Zinfandel, the vineyard that I got this year, I mean, the ripening was couldn't have been more perfect. Yeah. Um, I mean, really beautiful. But you're right, a little different chemistry. Um, you but know. it doesn't seem like this year this is the what was really different is that you had time to make decisions. Do you yeah, know what because, I mean? Whereas yes. you didn't have, it, there wasn't a rainstorm coming in. There wasn't right. triple you, digit heat didn't. spikes coming where you had to go, okay, shit, do we do it today right. where we don't or, really want to? Or do we wait four days when we're not sure what's going to be? It's kind of been like, ah, you know what? It's kind of like a slow build and it's getting closer. It's getting closer. And then, you know what? Ah, fuck it. Let's do it tomorrow. And, Let's and, do it three and, days. And, and, and it has I mean? gone that way. But the other thing that's thrown a monkey wrench into that, and and I've been watching this down on 8th Street East at all the wineries down there, is two things. One, there was extra fruit this year. So, you know, if it's an extra ton per acre on a five-acre block, that's an extra five tons. And that's that's mm. massive. Right. Um, and that affects, you know, things. So two things happen. One, wineries filled up a lot sooner than what they would have. And so then they got full and they couldn't bring in more fruit, so they had to wait. And then the other thing is that because there was extra grapes, growers were looking to sell a little extra fruit. I think there were some quote-unquote deals to be sought out there. So then you had people just buying grapes on spec, you know, or trying to take advantage of some good pricing, which filled up wineries. And that's why I think why there's still some grapes sitting out there is because I think you know, they're picking as tanks open. I mean, literally yeah. like, okay, yeah. tomorrow we're opening up a tank. It's a five ton tank. You can bring us five tons, right. period. That's it. Right. And, and, and that's what's been going on this year. And yeah. it's, we'll continue to go on. Yeah. So a lot of fruit out there, man. A lot of fruit out there. Yeah. I, you know, if I would have had a bunch of cash, you could have probably yeah. got some deals on right. Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Oh, right. wait. We don't make Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> Don, you, when was the first time you had a Zinfandel? Mm-hmm. Ravenswood Zinfandel. I Ravenswood Zinfandel. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was our last episode of the winemaker. That wine makes its way around. Yeah. Well, let's do let's do some shout outs. I uh, Bart, you and I were talking when I was on my way over here that on Freitas they're building a big uh, vineyard. Uh, yeah, there's a big a couple new big vineyards we're planted about over in Petaluma. Petaluma, Petaluma Gap kind of being the next new big thing, and and Bart and I both grew up in Petaluma, and we're starting to see the where we grew up, where we kind of would look from our houses or when we drove around in Petaluma where we'd say, you know, that's never going to get touched. That land will never get touched. It's always, now it's getting touched. It's um, putting in the grapes. Putting in um, more more grapes in Petaluma. And yeah, um, uh, yeah it's, 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 it's interesting. People just keep planting. Yeah. They keep planting. Yeah, people keep drinking um, wine, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, why don't you start? Why don't you um, uh, tell everybody how to get a hold of you, how to get a hold of your wines, yeah. um, anything special coming up that you might want to mention? Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, so uh, leonardwineco.com is the uh, website, um, L-E-O-N-A-R-D, wineco.com. And, I mean, uh, on there, you know, you can just buy bottles off the e-commerce or, uh, you know, join the wine club. The cool thing, I think, about our wine club is that it's it's – very authentic in the sense that if i say uh, we make food wines which brian you alluded to the acid the freshness um these are you know your european wines are meant for food hence they're lighter but they you can extend the value with your meal i'm um, always love that growing up with these these european wines with the family 
um, sharing that. And so our goal is to make these food wines and then, you know, find customers and deliver them with value. And so for the yeah, wine club is, is free shipping, which is a little incentive, but what's really meaningful to me is, um, we have a, a winery chef, um, as one of our, our partners and it's, uh, it, and he does a great job with pairing the wines with, with a, a large scale recipes and uh, sends it out to the wine club. So nice. I think there's value, you know, the wine club is like, we force you to get two bottles of each, of each, uh, vineyard. So, Right now, coming up, we got the 2016 Zen release, and that's Rock Pile in Child's Valley. Um, the big, the big education I think is going to be the, the New Oak. Why is there New Oak? Why is there not New Oak? They're both, you know, beautiful $50 wines, but the difference in New Oak is real. And um, I'm, I'm hope I can communicate that to the customers and uh, you know build excitement around that. Um, they're both going to go with food because of the acid, and so we basically have the wine club take uh, four bottles, two of each, uh, two of each vineyard. Uh, so it's 200 bucks, uh, delivered to your door and the, um, you know, the chef, he, we, you know, we spent some time and he, uh, he makes some very nice, um, I would call it authentic, uh, seasonal paired meals to a specific bottle of wine. So the hope is, Hey, you know, make the recipe on your own as it is user friendly, you know, make it and drink the wine with it, do the pairing in your house and then seller the other bottle because these are ageable due to the acid and tannin. Um, so I really enjoy that about our wine club. Um, yeah, pretty low impact. It's uh, four bottles of Zin in the fall and four bottles of Roussan in the spring. Um, so that's like 340 bucks total anywhere in the country. And nice. then, uh, use our use our winery chef and um, talk to me or Tom about wine. That'd be fantastic. So that's our goal with uh, direct consumer. Um, and then in terms of you know wholesale or you know the restaurants you work with in California, um, as mentioned, Brian. I worked with Brian originally here. Uh, at the Girl in the Fig restaurant, you, you took the uh, wine, and that was the first restaurant to carry the Roussan. Uh, Girl in the Fig in Sonoma, being a Rhone-centric uh, restaurant and wine list, they were, I, I think they were excited about the Roussan, and it made sense to them. And it was it literally was grown like a half a mile down the road yeah. at the base of the mountains, and it made a lot of sense. And I'm, I love being there. Um, you know, one of, other than if y'all were listening at the beginning of this, other than the dichotomy of uh, Saint Joseph Roussan versus Sav- Savoie. Yeah, Savoir, no, Savoir. nailed it, nailed that's it. That's it, man. <laughs> so other than that, uh, that dichotomy there of uh, a light, a light Roussan, delicate Roussan versus a rich Roussan, um, that got me interested in making Roussan, the versatility of the varietal. But there's a local guy here, uh, uh, Saldiani and the True Shard family make a you know fantastic uh, 100% Roussan, barrel fermented. Um, it's definitely a richer and more uh, a little riper than uh, the Muddy Arch Roussan, but to me, it's very well balanced. It, it's consumer friendly in the fact that it has the body consumers want um but there's still freshness saliani the winemaker has freshness there has a texture from the barrel aging uh wine i respect Roussan respect very much given the fact that i have trouble um with some of the riper Roussans down south in santa barbara and, and such i i get turned off by the ultra rich Roussans that kind of saturate this market um so you know cheers to Truchard. they got me interested and yep. uh so that's you know I was drinking that wine by the glass at Girl in the Fig years ago, and that was kind of the final cap that says, all right, I'm going to make Zen first, but how about a white counterpart? Let's do Roussan. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Girl in cool. the Fig, real special for me. And then I also would say that if, if you guys haven't had Roussan with oysters, then you're missing out because the, the synergy between Roussan and oyster, uh, that is that's just a hell of a pairing. It's my favorite Roussan pairing. You know, you guys, you guys, you know, oyster's got that, like, fat, oily texture. It's got that yeah. fat palate, but yeah. oyster generally unless it's very briny lacks the finish sometimes it kind of sits mid palate like a like a mid palate wine and where's the finish 
Well, um, I think, well, I know that the Roussan we make, being fresh and acidic, it, it basically finishes the oyster off. So it, the body of the Roussan matches the oyster, and then where the oyster falls short on the finish, our Roussan picks up with its acidity and freshness. So cool. I think Roussan and oysters is a hell of a deal. Um, so yeah, so we got a place out there called Saltwater Oyster Depot. They're on uh, in Point Reyes, and they've been a big long-term supporter as well. So I think... Awesome. Whether it's rich French fruit or oysters, you know, Roussan has the body to um, to match even heavier foods. Um, and then in St. Louis, Missouri, our one uh, state we distribute in, you know, many uh, many supporters back there is our uh, my family, uh, mom and dad, and the family used to live back in Missouri. It's hard to get them out. I'm like, hey, you guys should come to California. You got me. You got my sister in L.A. Come come hang out. And they're like, no, we're not gonna leave the family. You're crazy. So I can't get them out of here. So they're still <laughs> in the Midwest still. So Midwest is a big contingent, fortunately, and um, a lot of great restaurants out there. But I will say we have a uh, a retail partner, um, the Wine Merchant in Clayton, Missouri, and they've he's been a good friend and good uh, salesman for us, and passionate about the wines you're bringing back there. So that that company, the Wine Merchant, if you're in St. Louis, would be a very nice place to support. They have like a very good staff. They're not psalms, but these guys, some of them are. But the staff in general is so well educated. You pay maybe one more dollar per bottle, but you get uh, the value of um, any any education you want in a wine shop. So, very cool place. Right. Thank goodness they're not um, Psalms. Hey, now. Come <laughs> on, man. Some are, some are, man. They're all now man. So, yeah, so I certainly thanks for all those uh, retailers and restaurateurs, and hopefully we get some more customers. If you yeah, totally. <clears throat> People out there, if I mean, if you, if you love Zen, this is good Zen. If you yeah. love Roussan, it's good Roussan. But if you've never had Roussan or Zen, it's also great. This is an opportunity. I mean, this is what I say is an opportunity. Totally. I always look for that opportunity. Last night, um, um, I was drinking a um, wine from Greece because I want to learn more about nice. wines from Greece. And when you start talking about Dutch wines, now I want, I want to drink more Dutch wines. And people out there that haven't had good Zin or good Roussan, um, did you hear uh, that the Dutch wine, the Dutch wine, Dutch wine, the Dutch wine? Yeah, hit the hit up the website, man. It's not only fun to get a bottle of it. This is my thing: is I, I not only like to get a bottle of something new for myself, but when I get it, I like to share it with other people. So it's kind of like you're turning them on as well um, to something something new. Um, you know, let's uh, let's get a shout out to Sante. Um, Got a lot of new menu items uh, probably going up this week. We brand just new, uh, brand new fall menu coming in. Some really really exciting. Things. Oh my god, we had a venison. Venison is going on the menu next week, and then also this uh, bobo chicken from upstate New York, oh, yeah. where the chef is uh, deboning the leg and stuffing it with a lobster mousse that oh, just what? is out <laughs> of this world. Heritage chicken in one dish, and it just ha- it's the insane. And then the flavors. then the venison dish, he's getting these apples that are from this one tree in Washington <laughs> that have a red flesh to the apple, and we're smoking those apples. And then doing a caramelized sun choke puree on this venison. Just amazing. So I can't wait till the end of this week when we get to see wow. a lot of these new menu items go on. Um, again, uh, Sam is is uh, out of town selling wines. I think he's in New York. He's back on the East Coast. Um, but if you want to get in touch with Sam, you can always go to uh, 16600 or uh, Grapes with a View. Um, hopefully you have uh, Phil Katori coming on soon, I think. Yeah, we're works. supposed to have Phil on. We're um, getting ready to have um, Trace 
from uh, Robert Bialy uh, wines in, and we have nice. a whole bunch of other shows lined up here. Um, we hope that you've uh, checked out some of the past ones with uh, the great Joel Peterson and um, and David Ramey. Um, we had um, our friend Stephanie from Wonderment Wines on. So we hope that you guys will check out those old shows. We'd love for you to give us some sort of uh, review on um, iTunes. Um, it really helps promote the, the brand. Follow us on our Instagram and, and Twitter. And we're on uh, Spotify now. And now we're on Spotify. Right. Um, so we really appreciate everybody's support. We're still trying to build it up. Um, John was here. He'd say that we're over 40,000 downloads right now. Yep. Um, Everywhere from Thailand to Zimbabwe. Right. So yep. um, so thank you very much. And um, uh, also, uh, danesellers.com. Bart, you probably still have a little bit of Chenin Blanc left. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have some new wines coming out also, and so I'm um, getting ready to do a wine club uh, release, which will be this 2015 Cabernet here. Nice. So if anyone wants some of that, let me know. Um, and uh, shout out to uh, Todd Jolly at Sonoma's Best. Yeah, uh, and you for know, always bringing in killer wines that we love. Well, we, and, and here's and here's something, and this is timely and all, but uh, a week from today, so uh, the seventh of november thursday uh -huh. um is uh the historic vineyard society tasting at sonoma's best um, oh right there's right, going right. to be uh, representatives from robert bialy um i understand um uh, uh there's going to be a, a, a vertical of monoroso um oh. i think from martini uh, louis M. martini um there's going to be some under the wine. Bucks. I yeah, think a 30, ticket bucks. Is thirty bucks. Then you can go and and I highly recommend it. Yeah, um, go to Sonoma's Best for all the information, or yeah. the Historic Vineyard Society. Or I, I just recommend if you want to buy a bottle of wine, there's there's two places to go in Sonoma. I either go to the Rhone Room, um, or I go to Sonoma's Best. I don't. I'm sorry, Sonoma's Sonoma Market, but I don't even stop there anymore because it seems like Sonoma's Best and the Rhone Room have everything. Everything. Every bottle of wine All in there the, is something yeah. that I want. Hey, right. Hey, Todd, it's some of his best. It's representing the uh, 15 Rock Paul right now, so definitely appreciate that. Awesome. Yeah, man, Rex, we talked about that on. just the other day. We were talking awesome. about you. Let me take a shot. He said to say hello to you. All right. So, so, yeah, Hey, cool. so when, when uh, Tress from Bialy comes on, hey, one of the best influence winemakers we got, but are you going to ask him to play the stand-up bass or what, man? You know what? I I'm <laughs> I, I think we're going over there, and I'm going to ask him about yeah. playing the stand-up bass because yeah. – you know, that's awesome. Yeah, apparently, he's killer. I've seen him uh, live in Apple, um once, once or twice. It's pretty fun. Yeah, he goes like to New Orleans and does it. And yeah, I mean, he's a he's a Zinfandel winemaker, but apparently, he's a musician. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, interesting. Cool, yeah, we're looking forward to it. To All right. All right, cool. Um, anyone else you want to get shout out to? Uh, Bottle Barn, of course. Whenever I drop off daughter at uh, at swim team and go get. Uh, Wines at uh, Bottle Barn picked up my last bottle of the uh, Louis Ruder Brot, the 2009. Uh, that is, I think, the last bottle in California. Thank you. I'm going to drink that all to nice. myself. Um, <laughs> Don, thank you for coming on this yep. week. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, hopefully, you know, good luck with your uh, level two. Thanks. And uh, I'm sure you're going to do great. Uh, yeah, maybe someone will tell you what the wines are. There you go. Oh, we'll be, shit. We'll some, Throwing uh, the quartermaster sommeliers <laughs> under the bus. <laughs> we didn't even talk about that. You know that, what? We I, could do that, yeah. I think John wants to talk about that. So hopefully when he's on next week, he'll, uh, he'd like to talk about that story. Uh, Chris, always a pleasure, man. Thanks, Chris. It was, the um, wines are great. Love Keep the wines. The love, what I love about Chris the most is the passion and the energy and the spirit that he, that he puts into, um, into everything he does. And that's what is infectious. And I think... 
Um, when you hear them, you can hear that. And I think when you taste the wines, you can, you can taste it too. So, Thank you. um, yeah, man, always Thank a pleasure. You. And, cool. uh, and Bart, um, I don't know. Yeah. It's <laughs> let's you just do it at this. John would be like looking at his clock saying, we've yeah, yeah. We're running like 45 minutes too late, but we're running the asylum. We're on our time, John. Yeah. So there ain't nothing you over. can do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. It's a wrap. Thank you guys very much for listening to the winemakers. We'll All see right. You next and, week. uh, uh, Don on the way out, would you, uh, let people know, uh, how they can find the winemakers say, uh, goodbye and, um, we'll wrap it up. Yeah. You can, you want to do that in Dutch? Or of, in course, of course, of course. All right. <laughs> for our Dutch uh, listeners. Hartelijk bedankt voor het luisteren vandaag. En tot de volgende keer. Dit was de Winemakers podcast. En je kunt het vinden op Spotify, iTunes, Castbox, <laughs> overal. And that meant, thank you so much for listening. This was the, uh, the Winemakers Radio. You can find us on iTunes, yeah. Spotify, and Castbox. All right. Nice. Thanks, guys. Thank you.